0: Rachel, as y'all were singing this morning, thinking about Reformation Day, happy Reformation Day. Uh, As you turn in your Bibles, know that many gave their life's blood over the last hundreds of years so that we could have the Bible in our heart language. Think of Martin Luther and John Calvin and John Huss and William Tyndall, who even as he was burned at the stake, have the bible in english prayed for god to open up the eyes of the king and that a plowboy a little farmer's boy would be able to read the bible in his heart language just like anyone else and here we are underneath a bunch of trees on a piece of property reading the bible in english amen And if you're like, I have no idea what Reformation Day is, I would encourage you, stay for Family Connect today as Pastor Doug takes some time to teach us of the importance of our church history, our Christian history. It's important that we know it. Today's message is entitled, The Radical Cost of Discipleship. The Radical Cost of Discipleship. A couple of thoughts before we read our passage there in Mark nine forty-two through 50. The call to follow Jesus Christ is indeed costly. Jesus requires everything of us. There's no straddling the fence. There's no 50-50 Christianity. We must be 100% all in. Jesus unashamedly said in the Gospels, come and follow me. You must love Jesus more than your families, your career, your money, your house, and even your own life. My aim today, and we will not cover all of this today, but we'll get as far as we get, but my aim today is for us to see the severity of sin or the seriousness of sin how bad our sin really is, the reality of hell, how serious God is in his judgment of sin, the holiness and the wrath of God, and then the intensity of the cross, but in that the beauty of the cross, the beauty of our redemption. So let's read together in Mark chapter 9, 42 through 50, and then we'll pray. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him for a great millstone were hung around his neck, and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled where their worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire, and salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves, and be at peace with one another. Let's pray together. God, this is your word, and thy word is truth. Pastor Doug prayed earlier, I pray that you would sanctify us with your word. I pray that your word would bring life today, bring dead souls, dead hearts to life in Christ. And for those of us that are alive in Christ, conform us more and more into the image of Christ. And Father, even as I preach today, help us to be thankful We think about Reformation Day, and the privilege, and the freedoms, and the joys that we have to have your precious word in front of us. Please help us, Lord, to not take it for granted. Give us eyes to see your glory, and give us ears this morning to hear your truth. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Now, as we think about Mark chapter 9 that we've been discussing the last few times, the disciples at the beginning of this chapter received a glimpse of the white-hot glory of God as they saw the Son of God, Jesus Christ, transfigured before them, Peter, James, and John. They were able to witness not only the power and the glory of Christ, but also the compassion of Christ as he healed the little boy that was possessed by a demon. They were told over and over by Jesus that greatness in the kingdom is about being a servant, about being last, about serving one another. And then finally, not only in chapter 9, but throughout all of the gospel of Mark, they've been told the importance, the significance, the necessity of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That there is nothing of more importance. And that message still rings true today. And yet, their hearts, our hearts, can so easily remain dull. Spiritually dull to the things of God. Are you spiritually dull this morning? May these radical words of Jesus that we just read, wake us up, wake us up to the greatness of Christ, the holiness of God. So our first truth this morning is the severity or the seriousness of sin. Look back at verse 42. Jesus speaking to his disciples as he's teaching them, he says, whoever is one of these little ones who believe in me to sin it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Jesus is teaching his disciples sin is a very serious thing and he says here to cause a little one and he says one who believes in him so it could be a child of faith, It could be a young believer in faith, but we are talking about Christians here, those that are in the faith, and to cause them to stumble, to offend them, or to cause them to sin is a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. It could be by direct temptation or by simply setting a bad example before others. Again, the context here, this is the disciples and Jesus is teaching them. But I want you to think about this as he's talking to them about the reality of sin. There's one in his midst that is a betrayer, Judas Iscariot. And I want you to think about this morning, the disciples, as Jesus is teaching them about the severity of sin. Who have they been focused on? Themselves and their power, and their position, and their authority, and they haven't been focused on Christ. They haven't been focused on the glory of God. They haven't been focused on the reality of sin. And Jesus is trying to wake them up to stir their dead hearts, their dull hearts, Look at what he says back in verse 42. To cause a little, little one to stumble, it would be better for that person if a large millstone. And what a millstone was, it was this massive round stone, kind of looked like a tire that was used to press or crush the grain, to turn it into flour. It would be better for someone if that was hung around their neck and they were cast into the sea. And in Jewish culture, death by drowning was seen as a terrible, terrible thing. And as terrible as that would be, it does not compare to the judgment of God on someone who misleads little ones to fall or to stumble in sin. This is shocking language. It's radical language that he is using with his disciples And again, Judas Iscariot is right there. The gospel is being preached to him. The reality of sin. How terrible to lead one to disbelief or to transgression of God's moral law. You see, God's people have a very special place in his heart. In Zechariah, it says they are the apple of his eye. You see, to, be ble- to bless God's people is to be blessed yourself. To curse God's people is to be cursed yourself. God takes care of his own just like any loving father or any loving mother takes care of their own kids. I'll never forget the time our oldest son, Daniel, we had just moved into our neighborhood. And one of the bigger kids in the neighborhood had jumped on him. And they were not being very nice. And I'll never forget, there was something that welled up in me. It was a righteous anger at first, but because of the sinfulness of my heart, it could very easily turn to something that was unrighteous. But all I know is my little boy was in trouble, and I immediately stepped to the need. And thankfully, in God's grace, showed some restraint. But I share that example with you this morning. God loves his people. And to cause one of his little ones to stumble is a serious, serious, serious thing. He couldn't have been any more clear to his disciples. You know, when you look back at verse 41 there in Mark 9, look at the comparison and the contrast that he's making between 41 and 42. I know we covered 41 last time, but Jesus said, Truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Now we may not fully understand what what does he mean of this reward, but the little things that are done for the glory of God, for the furtherance of the gospel, for the good of his people, Nothing goes unnoticed by God. And yet the flip side of that, when God's people are mistreated, persecuted, afflicted, caused to stumble, it's a serious, serious thing. You Matthew 25, 31 through 41. We don't have time to read that this morning. But it's a passage about the sheep and the goats. And Jesus has come in judgment. And he's letting his people know all those that had fed one that was hungry or had visited someone in their time of need as they were in prison. It wasn't unnoticed. We know that we're not saved by our works, but a faith in Christ is always working. And yet the flip side of that passage in 42 through 46 is the goats. Those that didn't help the people of God. And there was judgment, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So some final application and we'll move on. Think about this morning. Think about our culture. Think about the reality of America that we live in. Think about the state of our churches. Think about the lie of evolution and how many people it's caused to fall and to stumble. It's a straight lie of the devil that takes away from the glory of God as the creator. Think about the health and wealth prosperity gospel that we have mentioned so many times. It's wickedness, it's deception, it's selfishness, It's filled with pride and me-centered gospel and how many people have been caused to stumble. Think about those that have said the Bible is just simply a fairy tale, that the Scripture is not really inerrant. It's not really true. It's not authoritative. God forbid that would ever, ever, ever be said about Everglades Baptist Church. Think about the flippant nature of how we treat Christ and the gospel. How sin is portrayed as not being a big deal. Is sin a big deal to Jesus? I would say when you look at verse 42, yes, it is. So much more that could be said, but we'll move on. So not only do we see the severity or the seriousness of sin in verse 42, but when you look at verses 43 through 48, you'll continue to see the severity or the seriousness of sin, but this morning you will also see the reality of hell. You know, I was talking to Pastor Doug. Hell doesn't get preached on too much in our pulpits today. But Jesus... Preached and taught on hell many, many times, even more so than he did on heaven. Now, looking back at verses 43 through 48, I'm not going to reread that section, but you may have noticed, depending on if you have the ESV or the King James, this is just a side note, I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but verses 44 and 46 are not in the ESV translation. If you have the King James, you'll notice. Verses 44 and 46 say the same thing as verse 48. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. The earliest or the oldest manuscripts that we have don't have this phrase in 44 and 46, but they have it in 48. But it was an addition in manuscripts that have come afterwards. Regardless, here's the reality. Here's the point. Hell is real. And it's a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. You know, when I thought about that word hell, in our culture, in many ways, it's nothing more than a curse word, right? People use that word all the time. People will say to another person, I hope you go to... People refer to the weather. It's hot as... Some people even say, you know what, I'm going to party in hell. No, you're not. And as hot as it may get here on a Sunday morning, it's nothing compared to the hotness of hell. This is not a place that we should joke about. This is a place that we should see as a very... Very serious thing. Charles Spurgeon said this, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to repentance. If hell must be filled, let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. That should be the attitude of our heart. Hearts filled with compassion, hearts filled with brokenness over our family members and our friends and our co workers and our neighbors and our community and our country and the unreached people groups around the world. That if they don't have Christ, if they're not in Christ, they're going to spend an eternity suffering God's wrath and judgment in hell. That is the truth of the Bible. It's not an easy message, but it's the truth, and it should grip our hearts. Just kind of walking back through 43 through 48, Jesus makes it clear the severity or the seriousness of sin. He uses a literary device of hyperbole, and he makes this clear if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, tear or pluck it out. It would be better for you to enter life or the kingdom of God, crippled, lame, one eye, than to have two hands, two feet, two eyes, and to be thrown into hell. Jesus is covering everything here with our eyes and our hands and our feet, what we look at, what we do, where we go. The cost to follow Jesus cost you everything. It's a radical call, not because I'm saying it, because Jesus says it. For Jesus to use such shocking language, the disciples would have had to have seen The seriousness, the magnitude of sin and God's wrath and His holiness and His judgment. You see, the Jews believed that their bodies and their body parts were very valuable, as they should. They were made in the image of God. Their bodies belonged to the Lord. Bodily disfigurement was seen as a terrible thing. But Jesus is making it clear that eternity in hell is far worse. God commands us to repent and believe in the gospel so that you can be saved from the wrath of God to come on your sin. We must be in Christ to be saved. Now, I think it's needed to be said, Jesus is not literally saying that we should leave here today and cut off our hands and our feet And pluck out our eyes. Because you know what? You could do that this morning and your heart still be just as dead and just as sinful as when you had all of your body parts. You need a heart change this morning. You need to be born from above. You need God to regenerate your heart. To give you a new heart. To forgive you. To make you new in Christ. God is using this shocking language to let us know the seriousness, the severity of sin, and the severity of God's judgment. This is a call to salvation. It's a call to discipleship. This is a call to reject eternal damnation, to be saved in Christ. Now, I think it's worth us discussing the reality of hell and why we as a church must believe in the doctrine of hell. Okay, this is not simply feartive language. This is not fairy tale. This is not God just trying to use scare tactics to bring people to the faith. This is real. Hell is just as real as heaven. Jesus is using shocking strong language in this passage because the reality of hell is honestly probably more than what we can fathom of how terrible it really, really is. Generally speaking, hell is the place of future punishment for the wicked dead. Wayne Grudem says it like this in his systematic theology. It's a place of eternal conscience, conscious punishment for the wicked. Let me say that again. A place of eternal conscious punishment for the wicked. The word hell in this passage is the Greek word Gehenna. In the context and the background of this passage, there were Jewish kings. I don't have time to go there, but you can look this up. King Ahaz and King Manasseh, who were two kings of the southern kingdom. And they were wicked, wicked. And they took part in one of the most wicked and vile practices of that time. It was the pagan practice of sacrificing children to the pagan deity Molech. And by the way, we in American culture have done this for years and years and years, and that we have murdered and sacrificed our kids over and over done the same thing these sacrifices occurred in a deep ravine south of Jerusalem the place came to be called Gehenna which is the English transliteration of the Greek form of the word Jeremiah the prophet condemned this evil practice and finally in God's providence it was halted by the godly king Josiah and Josiah decided to turn this site into the city garbage dump That it would never be used again in the way that it was. Therefore, the garbage from Jerusalem, including the carcasses of the animals, think about all the animal sacrifices, dead bodies of criminals were all tossed in this place called Gehenna, which was south of the city of Jerusalem. All of their garbage was put there. I know we have our garbage field in Okeechobee County, so all of their garbage was put there. All of their food, all of that nasty stuff... And it was burned continually. Imagine the stench. Imagine the smell. The fire never stopped. The worms were continually busy eating the dead flesh and the food items. So when Jesus says the worm never dies, he's referring to this. And the fire is never quenched. It would never go out they would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about of this place called Gehenna. It was a place of fire. Now, in the Bible, hell is described as a place of outer darkness. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't have time to go to all these places, but you can go to Matthew chapter 8, verse 12. You can go to Matthew twenty-two, thirteen. 13. It's also referred to as a fiery furnace, Matthew 13, 42 and 43. It's referred to as a prison, a place of fire where the worm does not die, an unquenchable fire, a lake of fire, of sulfur and brimstone. It's a place of torture, that people are tortured day and night forever and ever. Hell is separation from God in one sense, but not in an absolute sense. It's a separation from His grace From his love and from his mercy. But it's not a separation from his wrath and his judgment. It is a place of eternal damnation. And briefly this morning I want us to look at three passages. Turn to Matthew 25. It's not a real place because I'm saying so. It's a real place because God's word says so. Matthew 25 41 through 46. Remember earlier, we talked about this judgment of Jesus, this final judgment of the sheep and the goats. I'm not going to read 31 through 40. You'll have to read that on your own. But in verse 40, Jesus said, you know, Truly I say to you, you that did, you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Starting in verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. By the way, God, was cre- God created hell. It's a place for the devil and his angels. Verse 42, I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me. Did you catch that? The cursed, the goats, the wicked, the unbelievers will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Things to consider. If one does not believe in hell as eternal torment, then do the devil and the fallen angels just burn up at some point? Are they not tormented tormented day and night forever as the scriptures say? Also, how about the righteous and eternal life? If you're not going to believe in the etern- eternality of punishment, is our life really everlasting and eternal, or is it temporal as well? If the, here's the logical conclusion. If the punishment isn't eternal, then the reward of life can't be eternal either either. As one commentary said, the everlastingness of the destiny of the wicked, the goats, is equivalent to the everlastingness of the destiny of the righteous, the sheep. Luke chapter 16, turn there. Luke 16, and you'll have to read 19 through 31 on your own time, but I want to bring your attention to Luke 16 in verse twenty. This is about the rich man and Lazarus. They have died. Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom. Reference to paradise of heaven. Verse 23, and in Hades, the rich man says, being in torment, he's in torment, he lifts up his eyes, he saw Abraham from far off, and Lazarus at his side. He called out, "Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Don't miss the vividness of this language. I'm in anguish, I'm in torment. Just a drop of water, please." And he goes on to say, verse 27 he can't escape these flames then I beg you father send him to my father's house send Lazarus to my father's house for I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment and by the way I'll read 29 through 31 and Abraham said they have Moses they have the prophets let them hear them and he said no father Abraham but if someone goes to them from the dead they will repent He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Someone has risen from the dead. Jesus! He's the resurrection and the life. Will you repent this morning? Will you believe in Christ? Will you be saved from the wrath of God to come? Turn to Revelation 14. We see the eternal consciousness of hell in Luke 16. Look at Revelation 14, 9 through 11. Revelation 14, 9 through 11, God's word says, And another angel, a third, he followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured in full strength into the cup of his anger, he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. The wicked are tormented with fire and sulfur. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they don't have rest day or night. And then finally this morning, Revelation 20. 10 through 15. The judgment of God. Revelation 20, 10 through 15. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky, fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone's name not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into that same lake of fire. The same place as the devil and the angels. God has spoken about the reality of hell eternal damnation now I'll leave you this morning with good news I was reading through Pilgrim's Progress Christian found the book the word and he began to read and God began to convict him and to stir him and he realized his desperate need to be saved from his sin to be delivered from the city of destruction and as he began this journey he came to evangelist and evangelist tells Christian to flee from the wrath to come and he's like well which way do I run and evangelist tells him to run towards the wicked gate or the narrow gate I tell you to do the same this morning run run flee while you can run to christ he's the only one that can save you from god's perfect wrath and judgment against our sin the problem this morning is we don't see how significant our sin is against god how terrible it is how wicked it is we deserve god's wrath we deserve god's judgment but we also have a god who's so compassionate And he's so loving, and he's so merciful, and he's so gracious. And I don't have time this morning, but on the cross, on the cross, God's wrath was poured out, but it was poured out on Christ. And he suffered God's wrath and judgment for our sin. It went dark for three hours darkness, outer darkness. Why? Because our sin was so serious, it was so severe. And it took the perfect one, it took the Son of God to take the punishment for my sin, our sin. And he did. And you know what the Bible says? Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. John 6, 37 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. If you come to Jesus this morning, he will save you, he will forgive you, and you'll have eternal life. Forever and ever and ever. But all oh, if you reject Christ this morning, you'll suffer God's wrath and His judgment. And nobody's going to be able to stand before a holy God and say, that's not fair. That's not right. Who am I to tell God what's right? Who am I to tell God what's fair? God is just. God's the creator. He is everything. And it all belongs to Him And our only hope is to submit to God. Let's pray together. God, you know I tried with every fiber of my being as best I could to teach the truth of your word. The seriousness of our sin, the reality of hell. God, your holiness your wrath, your judgment, but also, God, your love, your mercy, your grace, your Son, Jesus. God, be merciful this morning. Be gracious to save. Save everyone here, Lord. Bring them to an end of themselves. God, help them to see their sin. Help them to see their only hope. It's Christ. God, only you can do that. Use the power of your word. Use the power of your spirit. Use the power of the gospel to bring us to an end of ourselves. And then, Father, for those of us that are in Christ, grip our hearts this week to share this good news with everyone that we meet. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. And amen.